Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Maybe we need to take all these worries about the tariffs President Trump slapping on Chinese imports, perhaps with a grain of salt. Maybe a whole container of Morton's iodized. When I look at the action, even on a not-so-hot day like today, Dow lost 93 points. S&P declined 0.56%. NASDAQ did plunge 1.43%. Whoa. It makes me wonder whether this trade war really matters as much as many think, given what's rallying versus what went down today. I mean, we, we knew all day, right, that the president was going to announce tariffs after the bell and the stocks got hit. Well, I don't know. The ones that got hit the least are the ones that should be hurt the most. So this session's a good barometer of what I mean. Let me flush this out. Remember, the stock market is a forecasting machine. It does a surprisingly good job of predicting the future, usually out six to 12 months. That's that intermediate term time frame that I like so much. And right now, the market is saying China is not what you should be worried about. The stocks of the industrials, with lots of exposure to the People's Republic, they held up just fine today, even though, again, we knew the president was going to speak. And, and the strongest performers were uh, 3M, Illinois Tool Works, Honeywell, Caterpillar, all stocks that should have gone down and down hard if we're really concerned about a longer-term impact of a trade war. You know what was down? It was FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Now, Alphabet that let us down. And FANG has hardly any Chinese exposure. Let's go through the big China exposure stocks and see what it tells us. United Technologies is a major player in aerospace with a gigantic elevator business, Otis, which does a ton of business in the People's Republic. In fact, United Technologies is triply levered to China. First, there's the elevator business. Second, the company needs approval from the Chinese regulators to complete its acquisition of Rockwell Collins. Third, when it comes to the aerospace division, China buys one in four planes made by Boeing. That's a major United Technologies customer, so they'll feel any stress in that relationship. If these tariffs were going to be really destructive, you'd expect this stock to be performing a lot worse than it is. In a serious trade war, there's no way China would allow United Technologies to even buy Rockwell clients and yet, Collins. And yes, they have veto power. Yet the stock's trading just a couple of points away from its 52-week high. That tells me Wall Street simply isn't worried, ultimately, about the future of some industrials in China. Another one, Emerson Electric, the diversified industrial that also has some major China exposure. Emerson's been there forever. China's massive infrastructure build-out is right in their wheelhouse. In fact, just this summer, the company decided to build a research center in China. If we were really worried about the trade war, this stock would be at or near its low. Instead, it's a couple of cents away from its high. Okay, then there's a classic one, Honeywell. This stock just got a nice boost today from Baird, which touted Honeywell's tremendous organic growth and its often overlooked fortress of balance sheet. But you know what's not overlooked? The Chinese exposure. 
Baird cites Honeywell's double-digit growth in China as a positive. They don't throw in caveats about the trade dispute. Makes sense to me. When CEO Darius Adamczyk came on the show, he made a very compelling case for why we shouldn't worry. So far, he's been right. Those who sold have been wrong. In fact, Honeywell just made a new 52-week high today. That doesn't happen if everyone's terrified that a trade war is going to wreck a big part of their business. And remember, there's a lot of smart minds buying these stocks. If you didn't know any better, you'd think that Apple would be in the crosshairs here, either because it will need to pay more for parts after the next round of Trump's tariffs or because the Chinese might start boycotting their products. Uh, or maybe we're all going to get some higher costs because of, uh, of issues involving imports. Well, while the stock's been up recently, though big, today's $6 sell-off tells me that someone with deep pockets believes that Apple's going to get hurt. However, we have nothing to go on for the moment besides the action in the stock. See, I think the jury's still out here, and we aren't certain how the U.S. will handle Apple goods made in China. Finally, there's one close to home for me. My travel show zones at Dow DuPont, where CEO Ed Breen told us today he's going to stay on as executive chairman when the company breaks up into three components. Now, there's a two-day analyst meeting at the beginning of November where he'll lay out everything. Now, though, with tariffs flying back and forth, Dow DuPont is expected to get it from both sides, especially in their crop protection business. One even I am worried about this, as anyone who reads their bulletins can tell from the Chapel Trust. Yet the darn thing, it rallied today. Even as it tends to get slammed whenever these trade tensions flare up. I think the fears of retaliation here are actually legitimate. They, 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 they matter. But the stock's doing just fine. Strange. Meanwhile, there are plenty of retailers who source their merchandise from China, but let's get serious. President Trump has now been in office for nearly two years, and he's been talking tough on, tough on China for ages. There's simply no way most of these retailers haven't made provisions to move a lot of their manufacturing, perhaps to Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, all of which are actually cheaper places to do business with, even without the tariffs on Chinese goods. All right, how about the American consumer? Should we be fretting here? So far, this whole multi-front trade war hasn't really had much of an impact. Nothing's really gone up in price, not noticeably. In fact, car companies have had to entice consumers with discounts, so we haven't to worry about the steel prices. Lumber prices, they've fallen. Solar installations are up, and more production's coming here. The employment numbers are so strong that it's hard to see any job losses related to tariffs. We've seen no increase in the cost to the consumers at retail. And it's not because retailers are eating the cost. Hardly any of them are under any gross margin pressure. This may be the least promotional environment I've seen in all the years I've followed retail, including the halcyon days of the 1990s. Then there's the other side of the ledger, though. Now, let's really talk about what a bear market looks like and who's really getting hurt here, okay? Our economy may be doing just fine, and so is our stock market. But China, I see, see real problems and real worries. For instance, the Chinese stock market has fallen to its lowest level since November of 2014. In fact, it's now down 20% year to date. And I don't think it's found a bottom yet. We, on the other hand, have a booming stock market with the S&P up about 7.5% for the year, mostly because we have terrific growth with very little inflation. If the tariffs so far are supposed to be hurting our economy, how's that possible? And do we really think some 10% tariff on Chinese goods are going to hurt us or 25%? I got to tell you, I don't even know. I mean, if this were a real problem, the retailers would be at or near their 52-week lows, not their 52-week highs. Look, there are some real worries here. I'm not denying that. I'm concerned about a slowdown in loan growth. We've seen that in the numbers from the banks. But I know there's so much money sloshing around from the tax cuts that it may not make sense to borrow. Right, they have the money in the bank already. Why borrow more? I can't pinpoint all, all that many jobs that are being created by companies moving back here or opening here in order to avoid having tariffs placed on their goods. I know the president does talk about that. However, given how tight the labor market is here, I, I don't think that even matters at the moment. 
FedEx tonight fretted about tariffs putting a damper on activity, but then also said a small amount of goods are covered. That's all. And let's not forget the storm damage from the weekend. While the hurricane was a horrific national tragedy, the thing about these storms is that they do tend to be good for the economy in the area that they happen. This one should spark a rebuilding effort that will get business roaring across a substantial swath of the country, just like it did with Hurricane Harvey in Texas last year. In short, I think our economy is actually going to get a lift from this tragedy. So the bottom line, the pundits can fret all they want about the trade war saber rattling. But the action in the stock market, particularly the inside, certain stocks, tells me that it's not cut and dried how much these issues do hurt business, especially not when you consider the red hot state of our economy. Let's go to Brock in Wisconsin. Brock. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing fine, Brock. How about you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. So a big booyah and go Pat Go from Wisconsin here. There you go. So well, a little I'm home a- team stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> so I'm 18, so I can't legally have a Budweiser, but I can invest in parent company Anheuser-Busch. So my question is, with the growth of the legal marijuana industry, I mean, is it worth picking up the bud off the drop? or like If you believe in that theory. If you believe in that theory, Brock, you want to own Constellation Brands, STZ, because they got that big stake in Canopy. Otherwise, it's too attenuated to go buy Bud. How about we go to Ed in Ohio? Ed. Hi, Jim. A big Cleveland Rocks. Booyah to you. I'll give you a tie for that one. What's up? My questions are about Stanley Black & Decker. Symbol SWK's recent minor stakeholder purchase of MTD Products, a private firm, Stanley was down about 15% year-to-date, but since the purchase has been heading back up. And I've read that Stanley does grow by buying good companies. Do you think this purchase will just be a spike for them, or is it signaling a turnaround for their And I think that the uh, hurricane is going to help. I think that there was a piece this morning by a research firm, very fine analysis about how business is better. They were around town telling you that business is good. I think that one works, even though the stock has been down. It's starting to bounce. I like it. Let's go to Brady in Massachusetts. Brady! What's going on? Booyah! From the late Stuart Scott. Boy, sorry about that game with the Jags there, Brady. What's up? Hey, I think both of us suffered in the Florida heat. Hey, WDC Western Digital, with this AMD surge and the new iPhone with a half terabyte of flash memory, are we on the horizon of the end of disk memory? We uh, Look, let's, let's put it this way. Uh, I think that disk memory's been eroding for some time, but flash memory's been okay. But flash pricing has really cratered of late, which means to me that you still got to wait to see what Western Digital does if they guide down. Stocks go down when they guide down. We, eat, we need to wait until we hear that. All right, want to understand if tariffs matter? You just got to take a look at the individual stocks that are going up and down. It's a little more confusing and not clear how negative the tariffs will be. Oh, man, money tonight. It may sound strange, but I'm going to reveal why analyst downgrades and mind-boggling P.E. ratios don't matter for certain cohorts in this market. Then if you could walk a mile in VF Corp shoes, would you be making a profit? I'm eyeing the recent strength in the company's Vans brand to see if it can continue to climb. And has Joe Papa pulled off a rescue of the company formerly known as Valiant? I've got the exclusive. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. listen to public figures speak, including CEOs, there's only so much soul-searching that you can reasonably expect. Not many chief executives are willing to really kind of be tough on themselves on national TV. That's why it was so refreshing when we spoke to Marcus Lemonis, the CEO of Camping World Holdings, back in June. This company, which sells new and used RVs, along with various related accessories and services, had seen its stock get obliterated over the previous six months. The result was one of the toughest, uh, candid self-assessments we've ever seen from a CEO on the show. Lamonas talked about how he'd made some rookie mistakes transitioning from a private company to a public one. Raked himself over the calls, actually, for not doing a better job of communicating the reason for his recent acquisition of Gander Mountain, a hunting and fishing retailer. While the stock got a nice and, I think, deserving boost after that interview, it's kind of floundered since then for a couple of months. So when a viewer called in about Camping World not long ago, I said, we need to hear from Marcus Lamonas, who, by the way, and I think this is really probably the most important thing, just purchased 25,000 shares on Friday. I think that's the reason why the stock went higher. So it's such a great vote of confidence. Let's check in with Mark Lomonas. He's the chairman, CEO of Camping World Holdings and the host of CBC's The Profit. Find out why he's so bullish about his company's prospects. Mr. Lomonas, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, Marcus. I'm a C. Thank you. Uh, People, uh, CEOs can sell for any number of reasons. Sometimes it's because of estate planning. Sometimes they want to do the right thing with taxes. They only buy for one reason. They think that their stock's going to go higher. You just gave quite a a vote of confidence when you bought you know, uh, we were in this weird period because I had sold several months back. I mean, almost, I think, six months back. And I had this window to buy. We're now in a blackout period right. as of today. Friday, I wanted to get into the market, and I set up the bid, and I ended up only with 25,000 shares. I was kind of disappointed. Well, you know, you know there are buyers. I mean, the stock, is, it, it, once, there are many people who want to be in the stock. Yep. And then I think there are people who don't grasp your longer-term vision. So I'm not going to be constrained by the spreadsheet. Yep. I want you to tell our viewers about the re- one of the reasons why you probably want to buy is you are, think you can double in the next five years, which we'll, is we'll incredible. Do it. We'll do it. We'll double. You okay. And that that will mean what for profitability? Look, at the end of the day, we are an RV company first and foremost. And our number one asset are our customers that sit in our good SAM file. That's the most important part of our business. But in order to grow that file and to grow the annuity part of our business, which is good SAM, we have to really grow our platform. We're able to make dealership acquisitions anywhere between one and four times EBITDA. That's trailing EBITDA, not adjusted like public companies like to do, not some pro forma number. The real number. We provide a good exit strategy for a lot of dealers. And as I looked at where this company needed to go, doubling the size of the dealership footprint was really the only option. And Gander Outdoors was really the, the, the spark that really takes us there. Can you talk about the Good Sam program, which many people may not be familiar yeah. with, and how Gander can be used to generate huge numbers of leads? Yeah. So the Good Sam file and the Good Sam club are an important part of our business. Over $100 million of our EBITDA comes from the Good Sam business itself. And essentially, it's people that want to save money on campgrounds, camping, uh, all hunting, fishing, camping equipment, but they also want to buy roadside assistance, which is similar to AAA for RVers. They want to get a warranty. They want to have a credit card and enjoy all the benefits. We sell all of those affinity products. And so as people walk in the front door, 
Well, those are fresh sets of eyes and fresh sets of people to be able to sell the products and services to. Now, the analysts are kind of caught up with this idea that you did lower EBITDA, but you say point blank, look, you strategically and deliberately tried to de-emphasize the high dollar, low margin business that wasn't doing well for Camping World. It's the motorhome business. Right. The high dollar, low turn, low margin business. And when I look at our partners today, uh, particularly I look at our relationship with Thor, we're right. about 25% of their business. they're about to report this week. Yeah, about 25% of their business. We have a really good congruence with understanding where the funnel is for the consumer. It's the entry-level towable where the first-time buyers come to market. And as people come into the market, our job is to stair-step them up. The motorhome business is good, but it never, Jim, it never recovered, never recovered from 2008. Never. Now, uh, you should talk about, I thought, the parts and services numbers and the increase in finance and insurance are gigantic. Yeah, they're, they're big, but it's deceiving in a way, right? Our okay. service and parts numbers are large because they serve the installed base. So there's close to 10 million RVers in the marketplace. Okay. And so people say, well, the business has cyclicality to it. It does, but it serves the installed base. Where I start to get a little nervous okay. is when you start to think about things that could affect this business. Do gas prices affect the business? Right. A lot of people to, worried. To a degree. Do interest right. rates affect the business? Not really. What affects this, this industry, not just Camping World, but Thor, is the availability of credit. The availability of credit. And so you put the RV business and the housing market, the car business and the housing market together, right. and you got the RV business. I got it. Okay. And so we, that's what made a difference. One last question. On your website, you really detail what I think, because my daughter does glamping. And yep. You've really got the people understanding. It's a zeitgeist. It's a lifestyle. That's right. World, right. It's a lifestyle. And, and what we're ultimately, Jim, trying to do is find the millennial. The millennial who doesn't want to go in their father's Oldsmobile or their father's motorhome. They want to go in a smaller unit, a lighter unit. They want to pull it with their Prius. And we've made a concerted effort through Gander to enter that market. Well, look, I, I think the longer-term view is clear. A doubling of the number of dealerships would be gigantic. And business is good right now. Look, we had the trade show this last right. weekend in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, sales seem good, and so yeah, we feel good That's what I look at. That's Marcus Lemonis, chairman and CEO of Camping World, who just bought 25,000 shares for the view that he just articulated right here on the show. Man, money's back here for the break. We know retail's been on fire lately, especially pretty much anything related to apparel and accessories. But within this bull market, some of the best performers have a special name. These companies call themselves lifestyle brands. So tonight I want to ask a question that I'm sure has occurred to many of you. What the heck is a lifestyle brand? What does it even mean? I could tell you that a brand becomes a lifestyle brand when it tries to represent the values and interests of a whole subculture. But I think that's looking at it backwards. You need to look at this kind of thing as the pinnacle of marketing. Lifestyle brands don't just try to sell you a product. They also sell you a whole identity. Classic example, Lululemon. These guys don't just make apparel, right? Athletic apparel, anybody can do that. They've built this very effective image as a yoga-inspired maker of athleisure products. Clothes you can wear while exercising or while you Netflix and chill. The point is Lululemon has a very clear identity. It's a popular one. That's part of the reason why the stock has been such an incredible performer, tripling over the past year and a half and hitting an all-time high today. Another textbook lifestyle brand, Boot Barn, the Western-inspired footwear and apparel chain. When we had CEO Jim Conroy on the show last Friday, I hope, wish, hope you caught that interview. It was pretty amazing. I joked that this store is like the costume department for a John Ford Western. I don't know. Conroy made a very important point. 
But when you get out and you, and you fly from here to L.A. and you look out the window for five and a half hours of that six-hour flight, you're looking down at customers that drive a pickup truck, right? right. It's the most right. popular vehicle in the U.S., and they're listening to country music. And that's, you know, they wear boots, hats, workwear, and blue jeans every day of their life. This isn't a, a costume at all for them. This is what they wear. Lifestyle brand. For the millions of people who wear boots and jeans to work every day while listening to country music in their pickup trucks, Bootborn sells products that are part of their identity. And while it might not be obvious to people on the coast, this lifestyle brand has become incredibly popular, which is why its stock has more than tripled over the last 12 months. The key here is that in an increasingly fragmented society, lifestyle brands make you feel like you're part of something, maybe something larger than yourself. And people are willing to pay up for that sense of group identity. But it's not like you can just roll out one of these lifestyle brands overnight. It takes years of consistent marketing to lay the groundwork. Once the work is done, though, we've seen from Lululemon and Boot Barn, among many others, that this concept can be incredibly profitable for you as an investor. I could say the same thing about Nike. So tonight I want to introduce you to what I think could be the next big lifestyle brand. I'm talking about Vans. Vans, the footwear and apparel brand that for years was mostly associated with skateboarding. But now it's become something bigger, related to action, sports, music, art, street culture. Now, Vans belongs, in another word, embedded into a company called VF Corp, uh, the apparel titan that also owns North Face, Timberland, and a host of other brands. However, Vans has been growing like crazy, and now it's poised to become an even larger part of VF Corp because the parent company is spinning off its denim business, think Wrangler and Lee Jeans. So Vans will represent a bigger piece of the pie. How hot is this one? Holy cow. Last week, VF Corp held an analyst day just for Vans. And they presented a very compelling story. Vans is already their largest and fastest growing brand. This is amazing. What a transformation. And after the company spins off its change business, it's going to account for about 30% of its sales going forward. That is huge. Still, uh, so let's drill down into what they told us last week, because this was really a masterclass in how to build a lifestyle brand. When VF Corp acquired Vans 14 years ago, it was a niche brand, stagnant growth. The old Vans had a lot of countercultural cachet. But its financials were going in the wrong direction. Since then, Vans has increased its sales from $360 million to $3 billion, while its gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, rose from 48% to 60%, and the profits just exploded. Those are gigantic numbers for apparel. How did VF Corp do it? All right, they took a brand that was very popular in California and turned it into a nationwide phenomenon that's going international. In addition to a bunch of productivity improvements and distribution changes going direct to consumer rather than purely wholesale, for instance, the company focused on making Vans more aspirational. They doubled down on its action sports business, especially uh, shoes for skateboarding. Then, when Kevin Bailey took over as brand president in 2009, they started trying to really figure out how they could connect with their customers. Here's what he said at the analyst meeting. Quote, we really felt that there was something more there because when we talked to avid Vans wearers, they were so passionate about what we stood for and we wanted to understand more about that, end quote. Then Bailey goes on and said, quote, we engaged in a really deep process to really understand everything there was to know about our consumers in 11 countries at that point. And it really helped us reveal something. As we talked to skaters, artists, musicians, and street cultural icons, we learned that they really just wanted to celebrate and share their self-expression, end quote. 
That's when they realized that fans had an appeal beyond skateboarding, that it could be all about creativity, youth culture. Basically, VF Corp acquired a very niche brand with a strong but limited identity, and then they found a way to broaden that identity in order to appeal to a lot more people. That's very similar to how Lululem was originally a yoga brand, but now it has millions of customers who never have done a minute of yoga. No wonder that stock just keeps hitting high after high. Now, why do we care about this stuff? Because Vans has been able to consistently deliver revenue growth in the mid-teens for over a decade. Most apparel companies would kill for that kind of consistent strength. But VF Corp is an ambitious company. It's not just enough just for them to have a terrific lifestyle brand. Now they're moving into a new phase with the goal of turning Vans into, quote, a global icon of creative expression. Those are their words, not mine. How well is this going? Okay, 18 months ago, VF Corp held a company-wide analyst meeting, an investor day, where they laid out a long-term vision. They only spent half an hour talking about Vans, and they predicted that the brand could see its sales rise to $3.3 billion by 2021. By 2021, that's a compound annual growth rate of 18 to 10%. Turns out that forecast was way too pessimistic. Last week, VF Corp told us that Vans would hit $3.4 billion in their current 2019 fiscal year. In other words, Vans is two years ahead of schedule. Rather than growing at a 10% clip, it's actually growing at a 20% clip. Yet Vans has accelerating revenue growth. That's incredible. Well, maybe they're not my style, but I don't know. They look good on some people, I'm sure. Now, the company's uh, talking about Vans becoming a $5 billion brand by 2023. Again, I think they're just being conservative. They'll get, rolling by, they'll get there by rolling out more advanced sneakers and new apparel while continuing to expand overseas. They're also doubling down on the direct-to-consumer business. Bottom line, never underestimate the power of a successful lifestyle brand. Vans could soon become the third largest lifestyle sports brand in the world behind Nike and Adidas. That's why I think VF Corp is still buying, even up here. They're not getting nearly enough credit for Vans. But once they spin off that jeans business, I think the remaining company will look a lot more attractive to growth-oriented money managers, uh, particularly those who thought all it was was VF Corp. And I think it's a great buy into any tariff-related weakness that you know is coming down the pike. Let's go to John in Maryland. John. Booyah, Jim. How are you doing today? I am doing well. How about you? Doing all right. Flow's uh, coming up. A little rainy down here in Baltimore. How's New York going? Oh, man, I don't know. Just kind of focusing on uh, life, life, uh, lifestyle and athleisure. How about you? I, it's, it's doing well. Um, you know, right now would be a great time for a Canada goose jacket with this weather coming along. Look, uh, the problem with Canada Goose, and we profiled this, was the stock went up so much after that one quarter that when reported the last quarter, the stock got hit on what I think was no good reason at all. I completely agree with John and Marilyn. I think Canada Goose is a buy right here at 57, and I'd buy more if it got below 50. Let's go to Jason in Massachusetts. Jason. Uh, Hi, Jim. During your segment on Wingstop last week, you said that analysts downgraded uh, on valuation, but the stock keeps going up and up because of its total addressable market, the TAM. Uh, Planet Fitness seems like it could be similar. It's got international expansion, a first store in Mexico. With 1,600 stores currently, there's talk of growth through 4,000. Everyone with a fitness app must be lining up at their low-cost health club. So... um, is it a buy or should it be under 30? We've liked it. Uh, it's had a very big move in the last quarter when it went from 40 to the uh, uh, to the, the 50s. It's come back down. I think at 45, 46, it'd be a really terrific buy. All right, it's time to give credit where credit is due. 
this shoe that is Vans is becoming a lifestyle brand. I think VFC is a buy because of it, not just because of North Face. All right, much more mad money ahead. Did Bows put the kibosh on its own demise? I'm talking with the CEO to see if the turnaround is for real or not. Then some stocks are so hot that you can't help yourself when they pull back. I'm going to give you some classic examples of where to put your money. And all your calls, rotten fire. Tonight's just of the lightning round, so stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. And, you know, what kind of, the return on, what do you got a call? Yeah. I'm busy talking. I'm trying to Let find me just take out. one. Just a second. Wayne Reed's on to see. Oh my God, I have to pick up my prescription. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. for sure when a company that was on its deathbed has made a miraculous recovery? That's the question we need to answer when it comes to Bausch Health Companies, a.k.a. the pharmaceutical business formerly known as Valiant. You remember Valiant. Hey, this is a drug company that grew by leaps and bounds thanks to a series of acquisitions, but eventually it flew too close to the sun. Valiant's business imploded due to a mixture of corporate malfeasance and bad strategy, and the stock came plunging back to earth. So in the spring of 2016, they did a big house cleaning, and they brought in a new CEO, Joe Papa from Parago. Since then, he has done an incredible job, selling off businesses to clean up the company hideous balance focusing on a couple of core franchises, eye care, uh, gastrointestinal health, uh, changing the name to Bausch Health after the company's well-respected Bausch and Loam brand doing some dermatological stuff, too. Under Papa's leadership, the stock has rallied from, get this, one, about 170% from its April 2017 lows. When we checked in with him last, he'd already made tremendous progress, turning this one selling company into an actual organic grower. Then last week, we got another very positive development. Bausch reached a Really important settlement with Teva's act, um, activist unit over Zyfaxin. Here we go. This is an irritable bowel syndrome drug that will keep the drug on patent. Incredible. Next 10 years. So that's why the stock fall nearly 14% on the news. Well, the Cincinnati's pulled back somewhat. Can this be just the beginning? Let's take a closer look with Joe Poppies, the chairman and CEO of Bausch & Loam, Bausch Health Companies now, to hear more about the settlement and what it means for the company as well as all the new drugs. Mr. Popper, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thank you, you, Joe. Good to be here. All right, Joe. You said at the beginning you would try to fix the balance sheet. You've uh, paid down $7 billion in debt. You still say it's too, too debt-laden. You say that. You said you would uh, do what was necessary for the divestitures. You said that you would do... Uh, Good in pricing, which you have. Then you you said you would settle the lawsuits. This lawsuit was the big one to settle, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, my legal team has just an out, done an outstanding job in dealing with some of these legacy issues, of which this settlement of Zyvaxin was was one example. What importantly this does is we think it's good news for patients because it gives us an additional 10 years to develop new indications for patients, uh, continue to invest research and development dollars. But it's also good for the Bausch Health shareholders because what it does is it it removes the uncertainty in the marketplace, right. which allows us to continue to invest in the product and, importantly, uh, come out with new indications. Well, I think that it, I can't uh, – I, 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 you can't emphasize how important this is because you have people like – a fellow like a Piper Jeffrey analyst who had just been negative, negative, negative. He said, look, we have up upgrading BHC, raising the price target. There really was nothing you do. You have to uh, – I love this – time to lay down our weapons because now the focus is on your new products. You've got to exactly. go over them because they're pretty, pretty substantial. Absolutely. We've been very fortunate. We've been investing in research and development. This year alone, research and development may be up about 15% versus last year, all targeted towards bringing out new products. So, for example, we're launching uh, a new silicone hydrogel 
daily contact lens. We're launching it in Asia. We're really excited about what that means. We launched a new product, Visolta. Uh, Visolta is for the treatment of glaucoma, uh, intraocular pressure in the glaucoma. Uh, that's doing, it's got good momentum, and we think 2019 to be an even better year. Uh, one of the important ones we have is Lumify. Very good product. Uh, it's now been in the market since May, and already it is the uh, number one physician recommended product for the treatment of red eyes, and it is um, already at over 20% share yeah, of the I'm market. I'm a user because I don't sleep, and it doesn't stink, <laughs> and that's why I like it. Uh, we're glad, glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Uh, we've also launched new contact lenses, BioTrue Ultra uh, for okay. ultra um, multifocal and the toric lenses. So we've got a lot of things happening, uh, and even some new ones. Uh, uh, Altrino just approved for our dermatology, for our retinoid products. So we're really excited about what this means for our future and the excitement that we're starting to turn the company around. Uh, we, we're two years into a multi-year plan, uh, but importantly, in the last two quarters, we've shown organic growth for the first time since 2015. Uh, you said on this call that you think the divestitures are pretty much done. You feel that you can, uh, through EBITDA, actually pay down more debt? Yeah, we, we think the best way to pay down debt, obviously, is to grow the EBITDA, grow the earnings of our company. Uh, and by doing that, take that cash, put it towards debt. So we think we, we do not feel we need to sell anything right now. Obviously, if someone comes to us and they say, we'll offer you uh, a great price for, for a company or a product, we have to think about that and listen. But right now, we do not feel compelled to sell anything, which puts us in a much stronger position. Okay, Joe, why does the analysts seem to always want you to sell the company? I mean, you've done everything that every analyst has asked. Why don't they give you a chance to run the company? Well, I think the, you know, what I can only focus on, Jim, is, is running the company to the best of the ability. Uh, if someone comes to us and they say we want to offer you a price of X for, for the company, that's a good price, we obviously have to listen. So, you know, we're a public company. Every day a public right. company is for sale. But the reality is that what we're focused on today is just continuing to improve the operational efficiency of this company, uh, and that's paying down the debt getting rid of the legacy problem, and starting to grow again. Well, you're a man of your word. I remember when I questioned every bill, all three of those, and you've been able to deliver, and this litigation settlement is gigantic, guys. That's Joe Poppies, the CEO and chairman of Bausch Health Companies. Wasn't called that when we saw you last. No, now it is. Man Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the late round. And then the light rounds are, are you ready? Skiing. Dang, over the light round. Let's start with Rich in Illinois. Rich. A big booyah from Bears Country, Jim. My well, question's on PayPal. Their performance has outpaced the industry so far in this space. How does the future look through your eagle's eye? Okay. Well, thank you very much, Carson Wentz, starting. Now, here's the thing you need to know. This stock has now dropped five straight points. Another two points, and it's really going to be oversold. And that, and only that, will I pull the trigger. Uh, but Chapel Trust knows you can follow what we've been saying by uh, joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Let's go to Steve in Texas. Steve. Yeah, I'm here. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, calling you about Sensionics Holdings, S-E-N-S. See what you thought about it. You know, look, glucose, you know, if you're going to do glucose monitoring, if you want to be conservative, you buy Abbott. If you want to be a little gro- uh, a little more aggressive, you buy Dexcom. Those are the only two that I really care about. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. 
Dr. Kramer. Dave. From the home of the Chicago Bears, Monsters of the Midway, linebackers Dick Buckus, Mike Singletary, and now recently inducted Hall of Famer Brian Erlocker. Thank you for taking my call. All right, Jordan Howard gives me 21. I'm, I'm feeling great. What's up? Jim. Companion animal friendly bug Everest and I like IDEX Labs, IDXX. Let's never forget that Everest answers to NBDA. And bug is all about AMD. And IDEX Labs is the kind of stock game that does come down here. And that is exactly when you buy it. Another five, I think it's perfect. Let's go to uh, Jack in New York. Jack. Hi, Jim. First off, thanks so much for all you do for us. Oh, thank you, Jack. I'm calling about S-O-N-O, Sonos. It's been very volatile lately. I want to know if I should buy or no, sell. No, 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 no. Now, that's not the kind of stock you buy on a weakness. That is not the kind of stock that is going to bounce right back. That is the kind of stock that is very consistent, uh, inconsistent numbers. Let's stay away. Anne in Florida, Anne. Don't buy. Don't buy. Hi, hi Jim. Anne. A big hello from Cape Coral. Okay. Um, I have a, a, a question about uh, Denberry Resource. There's a, they beat earnings last quarter, and they have good earnings for the next quarter, and they have a good forecast for next year. But um, I, I'm a little hesitant because it's ta- it's taken a drop from its 52-week high. Yeah. So should yeah, I Anna, I, I, I think you've had a really good run in that one. It's not a really high-quality company. That group is struggling. I'd say ring the register. Osbin in Tennessee. Osbin. Yes, uh, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. My question is about Aptico. I wonder what do you think about buying it on a pullback? Yeah, but you part, see, okay, this a is part of a, an account. Uh, you know, to me, this is a worrisome situation because I've got cloud stocks that are going down, and I want to buy the cloud kings when they go down. Salesforce is going down in part. I mean, congratulations, Mark and Lynn Benioff. Buying Time Magazine, I think, is good, and it's totally separate from Salesforce, but Salesforce is going down. I'd rather see in some high quality stock like that. Let's go to Mark in Missouri. Mark. Booyah, Jim. In Booyah. the genetic testing space, curious of your thoughts on Invitae Corp. I have looked at this company when I did the uh, biotech Bible for the street.com, and I felt that it was way too speculative. But you know what? This thing is just work, but it's not mine. It's too speculative for me. As long as you understand that it is a spec, then you're okay. How about Jeff in California? Jeff. Hey, Jim. Greetings from sunny Southern California. Hi, Jeff. Jim, I've been on a fast-moving train called Wayfair. I'm up over 100%. You know, this is you know this is one that I'm going to tell you I'm not the call on. I I really liked it. I thought it would go higher. I never thought it would get to this level at these prices. I think it's too high. But why listen to me? I actually was saying that for the last 20 points. When you hear people say that stuff on TV, though, you say, "Oh, come on, that guy's hated for a while." I prefer to say, you know what? I have not been the call on Wayfair. I've not gotten it right. Let's go to Canyon in Texas. Canyon. Hey, Jim. Currently reading your book, A Sane Investor in an Insane World. I'm a new investor straight out of the University of Texas. Hook them. My speculative stock is JD.com. That is way too speculative, and I am not a believer in Chinese stocks. There's a single one that I'm recommending. There. That's it. Let's go to Sammy in Louisiana. Sammy. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Sammy. And thank you for being the greatest in the world. Uh, I'm okay. What's up? 
Well, I just want to let you know, if you write another book, I'm going to buy it immediately. Well. For one thing. Okay. Interesting. Maybe I'll do it. What's up? I hope you do, because I'm going to buy it. Thank you. In the meantime, what are your thoughts about McDonald's NCD? This stock has been acting really terribly, and I have to tell you, in that group, I really do prefer Wendy's. I did have to stop my wife yesterday from getting a Baconator. I said, enough is enough. I like it in principle. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Some stocks are so consistently hot that when you get any kind of pullback, especially the kind that's caused by trade war worries, like the ones we're experiencing right now, you need to hold your nose and do some buying, even if they seem ridiculously expensive. Buy, buy, buy! Let me give you some classic examples. First of all, there's the payment companies, MasterCard, Visa, Global Payments, Intuit. I'm putting that in that category. And Square. They've all seen their stocks were higher on good days and barely get dented on bad days. They've jumped whole what's known as multiple turnstiles on nothing, not a word, on crickets. Today, they finally got hit. And I think that this dip is indeed a nice buying opportunity. I think they'll be back. They'll keep rallying through the end of the year. So you buy slowly, buy on the way down, but you can start. How do I know? Because periodically you get a chance to buy these stocks like when American Express reported a quarter where its revenue growth allegedly slowed and spending ramped up. That knocked the stock down from 103 to 99. But you literally had to ignore every single negative word that was said about this one and just buy it while holding your nose. Now it's at 109. Same goes for health insurance stocks. Hinting, you know we like that. United Health, terrible trust in you, man. Anthem, Cigna, whatever they say is well-received. Whatever they do is A-OK. Many of them got hit today. And again, I think they're buys here, especially Cigna, which is you know, purchasing Express Scripts. It's a deal which just got greenlighted by Justice Department this very morning. Long term, it doesn't seem to matter if there are quarrels with states, with employees, the federal government. Everything negative is just a speed bump on the way to higher levels for these health insurers. And don't you wish you owned some medical device stocks? Well, you're going to get your chance here. Boston Scientific, Beckton Dickinson, Illumina, Perkin Elmer, Abbott Labs, Medtronic, Thermo Scientific, Zimmer Biomed, Intuitive Surgical. They have all been roaring. These are sainted stocks. The fact that they pulled back today is a gift. Thermo Fisher, TMO, downgraded by Goldman. What an opportunity. And yet, when you look at the price journeys multiples, it's very hard to justify owning any of these. In the old days, I would never recommend these stocks at these levels. But these days, we have a stock shortage caused by buybacks and ETF money. You remember, all that SP money comes in, too. Plus, these winners get pushed up endlessly because the hedge funds and mutual funds that own them get more money in precisely because they're doing well. And they tend to invest that new money in the same stocks, in the same winners. Because remember, they don't seem to care about price at all. I could go on and on about particular industries. Anything that helps small business, anything in cybersecurity, any cloud or or, uh, king or prince, they all work, especially on trade-related weakness like we had today and maybe we have tomorrow. So um, this is a piece that's really prepping you, okay? prepping you for this uh, trade stuff. At the same time, there are groups that seem downright toxic. The oils and the banks, they can barely mount a rally. The banks tried today. When they do, uh, well, you got to worry that they could give back those gains at any single moment. Periodically, you get some variation within a group. For example, most of the housing-related stocks are terrible, right? But except for Sherwin-Williams, which I think is reaping the benefits of the bold decision to buy Valspar, one of its big competitors. It caught a downgrade today from a research firm, finished up a buck forty-nine. 
See what I mean by sainted? What's so frustrating, what's so maddening about this market right now is that valuation makes no difference whatsoever in any of these growth funds thinking. I see these downgrades by analysts on valuation. I just roll my eyes because buyers simply don't care. They're not going to stop here. They get new money in, they look at their winners, and they buy more of them. End of story. Occasionally, you get a down day like today where the winners cool off, and that's your chance to pounce because you better believe the buyers will be right back tomorrow. It's an insanely non-rigorous virtuous circle. Money managers buy these stocks because they go higher, and they go higher because they're being bought. While that may sound like the dumbest investment strategy imaginable, pure circular reasoning, it's also been incredibly profitable. And I think it's going to stay that way until the end of the year. Don't try to be clever. This is a market that rewards obvious thinking. When the secular growth winners pull back like they did today, you want to be a buyer, not a seller. So stick with Kramer. All right, Fang and company had a very hard day, and so that means tomorrow we're going to hear about how Fang is dead. That's the way it works. You know that. The only one that I really am concerned about is Facebook, letter F. Why? Because I think the numbers there may not be met, but the valuation is going down. I sure don't feel that way about Amazon. Ha! Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I'm opening up the lines to hear from you, the voices of Kramer, because it's an uncertain time. I want to talk to you. Mr. Kramer, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely, positively fantastic. Thanks for helping us not panic in times like this. The average investor, which we all know and love, you cater to us, and we appreciate that for all you teach us. I am not going anywhere. You shouldn't either. We will get through this together. Kramer has your back. Call 1-800-743-CNBC, and let's take on the market together. We're going to figure this out. We'll puzzle it over, and we'll make it so that we're all smarter. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.